Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Welcome to Trivial 10. My name is Jordan Halverson. This week, prohibition. Everybody's favorite topic. Um, You know, if you lived in the 20s and 30s, I'm sure it was a topic at the Thanksgiving table, at the dinner table. Uh, What should we do? Should we change this? Should we go back? No, I'm loving it. Some folks said before it was popular to say that about McDonald's. Yeah, I do write my own stuff. No, stop. You don't have to do that. So I just want to mention, before we dive into that, I was gone last week, as I mentioned, with my beautiful wife, beautiful, talented, um, glorious wife in Sedona for my 40th birthday. (laughs) You guys are very generous. Very generous today. So we're in Sedona, and it's uncharacteristically uncharacteristically, if I can say this correctly, snowy. And there's, you know, I said, you know, over half a foot of snow in the time we're there. Anyways, we get back to Texas and we're like, gosh, it's good to be able to drive and not be fearful that you're going to slide off the edge of a mountain. But then uh, I think it was, I guess, a week later, um, here comes Snowpocalypse 2023, which we like to give our... um, winter st- winter storms in Texas, um, names like that. So we were iced in it. Now, here's the thing, though. It's not snow here. Sometimes it is. Rarely it is. It's usually ice. And this year, we had ice pellets. So not only is this not white fluffy snow, this is just mini hail that's um, then freezing to the ground. So it then creates an ice rink, and we do not have the equipment here. As those who live in this area know, we have probably some old um, snow plows, not even snow, sand trucks that we got for a discount on eBay from like um, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, and they're probably 25 years old, dried up, and um, on their last leg, and we use those on the, uh, you know, the High Five in Dallas and a couple of other interstates over here in the Fort Worth area just to make sure the main arteries are clear. But if you don't live on a major road, you are going to be um, subjected to, you know, an inch of ice that's frozen. Now, and we, we don't have chains. We don't have those studded tires I was talking about that they have in the mountains in northern Arizona, which I didn't even know was a thing till this year. Until I was 40 to find out about this, that that's the improvement on chains on the tire. So we don't have any of this. So I will tell you that the entire school system in the school district we live was shut the entire five days. It was shut down the entire time. And so, uh, and my wife's a teacher, so she went she drove to work as everything was starting to fall, and it was like, okay, maybe they'll do an early release or something. So she pulls up to the parking lot, and they say, hey, the district calls off school. And uh, apparently the leadership of the district was in um, Austin at a meeting, so nobody knew uh, that was making these types of decisions what was going on here. And so that was pretty crazy. And then so everybody is at home for five days. And, uh, you know, by Thursday, cabin fever setting in. And um, thankfully, 
my wife, and she's done this since the beginning of our marriage. Every week we have grocery shopping, so we had enough in the house of everything we needed, which was fantastic. And I'm so blessed to have her for so many other reasons, but that we had a meal plan for that week, and so we were we were taken care of. But anyways, that was interesting to bring the snow. I was blamed by some people I won't mention for bringing snow again. Again, that was not snow. That was ice pellets. And the kids, of course, they want to be out there, and um, and it, it's just a sheet of ice. So I don't know how many times my, my son fell. But, um, yeah, I mean, you live and you learn, right? That's how you learn how to walk on ice. Is um, you walk on ice and you slip. So into today's topic, prohibition, and I, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. It's a really interesting period of time in the country. It's basically, it's not the entire time, but I guess you could call this era prohibition because it's after World War One. It's before World War Two, but it like it, it crosses over into what you'd call that Great Depression era because that starts in 1929 after the great recession or is that what do they call what do they call the one in 2008 because they're trying to like rebrand that as something similar which i think is an absolute joke because you had people our, our country was not even in the same place and i understand there were some people that lost a lot of money and there were a lot of foreclosures and things like that but what happened with the Great Depression in 1929, after the stock market completely fell apart, was much more significant than what happened in 2008 with the housing crash. So when people try to compare those, it just kind of drives me a little nuts. But for those who have not heard about Prohibition, or you slept through that day of class, or you skipped, or it was a snow day and y'all never got back around to it, Prohibition lasted from 1920 to 1933 in the United States. It was the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It passed with a 68% supermajority in the House of Representatives and a 76% support in the Senate. So it, it, it enabled le- legislation known as the Volstead Act. So that set rules for enforcing this federal ban on alcohol, if you didn't know. So that's what they were prohibiting is the use of alcohol. So number one, prohibition. And, and again, this was from 1920 to 1933. So number one, prohibition had been tried before in Maine, of all places. Um, the activists scored a major victory in 1851 in Maine. Uh, legisla- their legislature passed a statewide prohibition on selling alcohol, and a dozen other states after that followed suit with Maine laws. I'm doing a lot of the air quotes today. And um, and they, uh, they were only repealed, I think, a few years later after that because of what is called widespread, widespread opposition and riots. So riots are not a new thing, um, as we all knew. Um, we've been rioting in this country for a while. Oh, it just, just takes the right thing, the right mixture of frustration. Um, and then again, I don't know, this is, this is, and our content today is provided by the History Channel. So um, you, everyone has opinions on everything. So um, this is what they report, widespread opposition and riots. I don't know how many riots there were. There may have been like four drunk guys, four winos out in front of City Hall. Um, you know, well, we want this repeal right now. 
And then someone documented that as a riot. Number two, World War One helped steer the nation in favor of prohibition. Dry advocates. Now, dry is, if for those of you who, again, don't know, a dry area or a dry county would be an area that does not allow for the sale of alcohol. So dry advocates argued that the barley used in brewing beer could be made into bread to feed American soldiers and war-ravaged Europeans. So they kind of, those activists that were going for prohibition kind of tugged on the hearts. And, you know, during World War One and, and World War Two, the country really, really came together for the war effort. So that makes a lot of sense that that kind of ushered in prohibition, uh, World War One. that is. Number three, it was not illegal to drink alcohol during prohibition. Americans had stashed away in January 1920, um, and so they, they stashed away what they could uh, to enjoy in the privacy of their own homes. And, I mean, for most Americans, you can imagine 1920 probably had a few bottles around. And if you even were um, someone that drank alcohol— and then there were some affluent people that built entire um, wine cellars and then or bought out uh, entire liquor store inventories. So that was not um, uncommon. Number four, drug stores continued selling alcohol as, here it is again, medicine. For those of you who are not watching me on YouTube, the, uh, the quote fingers are, are coming out today a lot. Um, sacramental wine was still permitted for religious purposes, and this brought around a, um, well, there was a skyrocketing of um, those who claimed to be rabbis and priests, as you can imagine. Um, and then drugstores were allowed to sell medicinal whiskey, again, medicinal whiskey, to uh, treat everything from toothaches to the flu, which my doctor still does that. So I don't know how much has changed, but... Um, that's, uh, he's an interesting guy. With a physician, physician's prescriptions, <laughs> again, I'm sorry. Patients could legally buy a pint of hard liquor every ten days. These rules are bizarre. This pharmaceutical booze often came with um, a prescription. Take and here's here's an example of one. Take three ounces of whiskey every hour for stimulant until stimulated which is very vague and doesn't seem like it would be in a medical journal. But again, hey, it was the 1920s. Number five, many speakeasies, and this is this is closely related to number four. Number five, many speakeasies eventually operated under the guise of being pharmacies, and legitimate chains flourished. According to Prohibition historian Daniel Ockrent, windfalls from legal alcohol sales helped the drugstore chain Walgreens which I'm sure you've heard of, grow from about uh, from 20 locations to 500 locations in the in the 1920s. So from 1920 to 1930, they went from 20 to 500 locations selling um, medicinal booze and religious booze. Number six, up to 10,000 people died from drinking tainted liquor. So bootleggers produced millions of gallons of what they're calling bathtub gin and rot-gut moonshine, which sounds delightful. Uh, the most deadly concoctions contained industrial 
alcohol originally made for the use in fuels and medical supplies. The federal government had required companies to denature industrial alcohol to make it undrinkable as early as 1906, so about 14 years prior. But during Prohibition, it ordered them, the government ordered these manufacturers to add toxic chemicals as a further deterrent to folks using these alcohols to make, again, rot gut moonshine and bathtub gin. So what do you think, Robin? Next um, anniversary, we'll try either the, a bathtub gin or a rot gut moonshine and just... Just give them a, a, a taste. But um, yeah, 10,000 people. I mean, that's a good amount of people. But you also have to, people need to be responsible for what they're putting in their bodies also, right? So, um, I mean, that's that's desperation, right? If you're drinking uh, Clorox whiskey, right? So there's other problems at play there. Number seven, drinking actually, I know we had, we had some people, we have, the addicts drinking the Clorox whiskey, which is sad. That's really sad. But number seven, drinking decreased during Prohibition. So it worked. According to a study conducted by MIT and Boston University economists in the early 1990s, alcohol consumption actually fell as much as 70% during the early years of the, here it is again, more quote fingers, noble experiment. The noble experiment, as prohibition is known. So it sounds like they were successful um, at some point. Now, I, I don't know if, when it started to rise back. It says during the early years. So probably need to do a deep dive on that and see, okay, so it went down to 70% probably because people couldn't find it. They didn't have any more of it that they had saved. And then I believe support for this um, this law uh, was starting to wane. And I think it's probably pretty similar to what we've seen over the last, gosh, 20 years uh, concerning marijuana in this country. Uh, a lot of laws have softened on um, marijuana, marijuana use, um, the prosecution in more um, liberal states. Is, I, I think it's some places ceased. So... I think it's that same sentiment is I don't know if we want to continue to make this uh, harsh punishments for this for for um, alcohol. So that 70 percent uh, probably started to wane towards the end of the um, uh, prohibition era. Number eight, Kansas and Oklahoma remained dry until 1948 and 1959, respectively. And Mississippi remained alcohol-free until 1966. And that was a full 33 years after the passage of the 21st Amendment. And the 21st Amendment, that's what removed um, the 18th Amendment um, and legalized alcohol again. So to this day, uh, 10 states still contain counties where alcohol sales are prohibited outright. And I know that there are some of these in Texas where I live, um, and I'm sure they're just scattered throughout the country, but um, interesting that the, um, I wouldn't say the consequences, but the, the effects of this law are still in effect today. Number nine, in 1932, in New Orleans, the decision to ratify the 21st Amendment, so this was a year before it actually or the year before it actually went away, um, it was honored 
with 20 minutes of celebratory cannon fire, of course, <laughs> New Orleans, Nolens. Um, that is interesting. 20 minutes of so Is that the best use of cannon fire? Um, anyways, I guess it's in peacetime. So, but you're in the Great Depression. Anyways, way to go, Nolens. Um, Roosevelt supposedly marked, that's the, uh, the president at the time, Franklin um, Delano Roosevelt, supposedly marked the occasion by downing a dirty martini. So uh, that is uh, how he celebrated it. Uh, to stay in business, Budweiser refitted their breweries to make ice cream, while Coors, they um, produced pottery and ceramics. So that's how they stayed afloat. Budweiser and uh, Coors would not be around if not for ice cream and pottery. So um, that's really bizarre. But I mean, I guess whatever works in, in times of uh, desperation. So anyways, guys, that are that are that is our 10 facts about prohibition this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, just smash that bell. Just smash it. That way you'll know when we release new videos. And continue to look forward for 2023 uh, interviews. We've got some more interesting topics coming up. And again, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.